Welcome to Unbound Turnarounds, a podcast all about the challenges women business owners think about constantly, but rarely voice. We're Nicole and Mallory, entrepreneurs, friends, and co-founders of Business Unbound, a community helping women alleviate the headaches, heartaches, and backaches so work actually works for life. This is your safe space for the ups, downs, and the turnarounds. Welcome back to another episode of Unbound Turnarounds. And Mallory, I'm really excited for today's interview. Who do we have? Yeah, so today we're super pumped because we have Carolyn Williams here with us. She's a small business owner of a cycling studio in your hometown, Bozeman, Montana. Mm -hmm. So Carolyn curates pristine, unparalleled wellness experiences and shares her strong connection to and love of music through the creation of one of Montana's most inviting wellness spaces, Zephyr Cycling Studios. So she is a Montana native. She loves music, movement, words, and community created all around the foundation of Zephyr Studio. In 2020, Carolyn was actually awarded 40 Under 40 by the Bozeman Daily Chronicle and was named Bozeman's best community leader which speaks directly to my heart, makes me so happy. That was in 2021 and in 2023 in the Bozeman Magazine's Reader's Choice Poll. She hopes that Zephyr helps all who walk through its doors to understand that they are enough and that their experience at the studio empowers them to live authentically, freely, and with compassion for themselves and for others. The one thing that she loves more than Zephyr are her dogs, Andy, May may Andy rest in peace, Zephyr's co-founder, Charlie and Lua, and she's proud to serve on the board of Bozeman's incredible animal shelter, Heart of the Valley, as well as on the board of Spay Montana, which organizes spay-neuter clinics across the state of Montana. Carolyn, Charlie, and Lua are a package deal, so you can expect to see them regularly at the studio together. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful and excited to, to be here. Yeah. Okay. So welcome again. And just to remind you and all our listeners for season one, we're really digging into the whys behind uh, women in starting their own companies. So we're excited to talk to you specifically because you have a brick and mortar business and not a lot of our guests have had that so far. So we want to talk to you about how that maybe changes your story a little bit and how that shifts your perspective. All right. So to start us off, Tell us about how your work experiences prior to your current business kind of got you started from when you got out of school to launching your cycling studio. Well, I uh, would say that it started before I got out of school only in that um, my mother required both my brother and me to take piano lessons from age five onward. So music was always a very big part of our lives didn't play soccer, had a brief stint in gymnastics and softball when I was in about third grade. And then it was just piano, piano, piano. Um, added the flute on when I got to, you know, elementary school and beyond. Also but, was a um, flute player, but worse than you, I can guarantee. <laughs> um, and I loved that too. I just, I loved music and it was just an integral part of my life. And I did try to quit taking piano lessons multiple times. And my mom staunchly refused every single time. And now I now I thank her for that because I meet so many people who say, oh, I wish my parents had made me stick with whatever instrument they were learning. Yeah. But so because of that, I focused on music 
and not athletics. And I did not consider myself an athlete at all, really, prior to college where everybody was running and going to the gym and it's got involved. And, you know, I went to college in Maine and it was a really beautiful, idyllic setting and running outside was really actually quite delightful. But, uh, and I was an English major in college and a music minor. So I, I think people like to give English majors a hard time, but I actually think that we could rule the world if (laughs) given the chance. (laughs) I actually, I think many do. And, um, so when I graduated from college, it really did kind of give me a really great background in communications, writing, uh, being mm-hmm. able to problem solve, uh, that kind of set me up to have a variety of different professional experiences. Um, I wouldn't have known that at the time. I think graduating from college, everybody is freaking out, to say the least, yes. about what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. And <laughs> just flung from the nest and you're like, yeah, oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> So I started, I uh, began a job in New York City in public relations and learned there how to be a real true professional. I had really great mentors and um, it was a very tightly run ship. And that experience taught me a lot about how to show up as a professional. And that experience has stayed with me to this very day. And I'm grateful for it. It wasn't my calling. And so I then took a turn and worked for a mutual fund company writing on their on their proposals team. So I was writing okay. proposals yep. for different financial products, which was about as interesting as watching paint dry, but I'm grateful for that experience <laughs> as well because it supported me living in New York City and um, I made some really good friends through that job. And again, just like honing my skills as a yes. professional. Like I've never been afraid of hard work, but those first two mm-hmm. jobs really – ingrained that in me very quickly and very irregularly. While living in New York City, I went to my first rhythm-based spin class. So um, I had been gifted a 10-class pass to SoulCycle, which is kind of the original Mm rhythm-based spinning chain. And wasn't quite sure if I was going to like it. I had taken spin classes in college and loved them, but also just didn't know how that would translate. And when I walked into my first class, it was an immediate moment. I'll never forget it. Just realizing like all of a sudden I could take that musical connection and connect it with mu- with movement in a way mm-hmm. that made me feel good and was really enjoyable. And it wasn't like I was ever waiting for class to be over. I just wanted class to go on and on and on. See, and, and so- I was going to say 10 class pass. That's a That's a commitment <laughs> gift right there. That's not, it, here's yeah. one class to try. I was like, someone <laughs> really wanted you to do this. Well, yeah. I mean, I did love spinning and I loved music. And and so it really was a perfect combination of those two things. Um, and I flew through that 10 class pass. Aww. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, it was, I mean, and, and truly being from Montana, having gone to college in Maine, New York was a hard place for me. And that was kind of the first experience I had in the wellness space where I realized what a refuge a studio environment could be. And I know we'll talk about the brick and mortar piece of it, but I just don't think that's something you can get virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Really, really don't. I know that actually. So, um, and I, and so it would just, there would be a crazy day at work or whatever it would be. And I'd walk into SoulCycle and it would smell good. And they had everything just completely dialed. Like Jonathan Adler branded grapefruit candles and just like yeah. the most incredible, like it was just pristine and I loved it. Everything in its um, place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was grateful for that when I lived in New York City and I actually worked at SoulCycle um, for about six months after I left my mutual phone job and 
because I just loved it so much. I thought, why not be here? Why not just fully immerse myself in this company? Yeah. Um, and as an instructor, no, I was a assistant manager. Okay. At, at the time, they only had four locations in. Okay. To- well, maybe five, including a location in the Hamptons. For reference, they now have between 80 and 100 um, across oh, the country. No. So I worked okay. at their first Union Square location um, in 2012 and lasted for about six months before I finally just realized no professional experience in New York was going to make me happy in New York. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. ended up back in Maine and worked in development at my at the college I went to, so fundraising. And that was a job that was a really pivotal experience for me because it made me realize how important it was to have uh, purpose professionally. I really believed in what I was doing every day. It was very easy for me to ask people for gifts to the college because of the impact that place had had on my life and because of the impact I saw it having on other people's lives and knowing that that impact was possible because of the support alumni have given Mm-hmm. The college over you know hundreds of years. So, sure. um, and and it just really was meaningful work to me, and it was fun. I mean, it was it some. I mean, you hear fundraising, and some people are like, "Oh no, I could never." And I just the word "fun" is in there. It's a, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> but I do, you know, more than any any part of the job in particular, it was really just having that purpose and knowing that that was going to be really important to me going forward. And when I lived in Maine, there were no boutique studios. So I started teaching at World Gym because I wanted to have the experience. There were no rhythm-based spin classes. So I just decided, well, if I want to have this experience, I'll just create it for now and see what happens. Ended up really falling in love with teaching to this day. I mean, over a decade later, it's something that I can't wait to do every time I have the opportunity to teach. And it started... I mean, I used to teach my friends hungover spin classes in college, like on Saturday, <laughs> uh, Friday mornings before we'd get ready to go out and do it all over again. But um, see, you've always been about inter- public service. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this is my first, you know, professional experience teaching, and a boutique studio did open up shortly after I moved. Uh, almost a year after I moved to Maine, and I started teaching there and being part of the community there, and loved it so much that I then left. Uh, okay. Bowden to go work there full time. And that was a really pivotal experience for me too. So I had a lot of experiences after college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you just did. Was like, I was like, I think like, like I am will always be grateful for my English major, but I didn't graduate having any idea what I really wanted to do truly. And so it's, and now I can look back and see how each experience along the way set me up yes. to be where I am yes. right now, but Insights. it was not a linear path. And I, I guess that's just always something I try to stress, especially to the young people who work at Zephyr. Like I, I had no idea. Right. <laughs> I didn't yes. graduate. I, I didn't graduate from college and think someday I want to own my own business at all. So, yeah. uh, well, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it sounds like you had obviously a wide variety of experiences. Yeah, of I know. You asked that question. I was like, right? Like some of which were maybe a good job, not in the right location or vice versa. So, you know, there was a quote on your website that I really liked, which was anything or anyone that doesn't bring you more alive is too small for you. And I just mm-hmm. love that. So looking back at that experience, what were some of the things about the different careers that you tried before opening your own studio that just felt maybe too small for you mm-hmm. or just not quite the right fit, even if you yep. got a lot of great things out of them? 
So first of all, that quote is by David White, who's an incredible poet and writer. And um, I always have to give him credit whenever that quote comes well up. Well done, David. I, I didn't come up with that. Uh, that's it. And that's a great question. I think that sitting all day was hard for me. I, I What I love about my world now is that I'm Kong. Yep. Um, and I also think being able to be creative in a way that excited me um, was absent from a lot of those early experiences. Mm-hmm. And I also think I had a vision personally for the kind of classes I wanted to teach. And once I had had a couple of different studio environment experiences, I had ideas about how I would want to do things differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes working for someone else, as much as I respected any manager, any business owner I ever worked for there. And again, this is all in hindsight, I will say, but there is something in me that was like, I just feel like I want to expand outside of this in a way that's not going to be possible while I'm still um, helping someone else's vision come to life. Mm -hmm. We call that, well, Nicole and I think have different phrases for that. I call that a nibbling at the soul. Nicole, you have something else that you call it, but I can't remember what it is now. But you knew. My red flags? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) You knew. So you already kind of were getting a sense while you were working at the other studio in Maine. But you opened your studio in Montana across the country. So yeah, <laughs> curious to know how or what was the catalyst to you moving back and also then taking that big leap and that big step into opening your own studio and being the business owner? Um, yes. So, and I, to be clear, I, this, I love that nibble at the soul. That's so brilliant. Um, I had no idea still that I wanted to start Zephyr when I lived in Maine. I, I just looking back, I can see that, you know, some of the things that I I can now say like, oh yeah, that was mm-hmm. keeping you smaller than you wanted to be. Yes. Um, that, that something in there was present. Um, but ultimately I came back out to Montana during the summer of 2015 to spread my grandmother's ashes with my family in the bear mm-hmm. And, um, it was a smoky August in the Beartooth as they are wont to be. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Yes. And I remember looking around and thinking, why do I live anywhere other than where this exists, especially when this is where I was born? And um, and I just kind of had that thought and went back to Maine and adopted my first dog. And well, something that's why in- you had to go back. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, at the time, I adopted a small dog because I thought I'd be flying back and forth between Maine and oh, Montana yes. forever. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I just thought, you know, and it was kind of a trans. It was a transformational year for me. I'm really into astrology, and now I can look back and see that it was like the beginning of my Saturn return, which is a very pivotal moment in your late 20s when everything begins to change. But I just kept thinking to myself, oh, I would love to be closer to my family. Well, I, I guess, I, but I have no idea. I didn't know at the time what professional opportunities were available to women in their 20s in Montana. Yeah. And my parents were living at Big Sky at the time. And I truly just said to myself, I don't know, maybe if a job on the sales and marketing team at Yellowstone Club opened up, like that could be a good fit. I could go back to marketing. I could get back to Montana. I could live with my parents mm-hmm. and save money. But, you know, what, maybe. And then the universe absolutely called my bluff and a job on the sales and marketing team at YC opened up. Universe fired someone else just so that you could go. (laughs) I mean, it was actually wild how that happened. Wow. (laughs) 
Um, and YC has a beautiful little spin studio. Um, and so I applied and accepted the offer on the condition that I could teach there. And they said, sure. And so it was very fast. My boss at the time, who's still one of my, I respect her and appreciate her so much. She was almost nine months pregnant when she offered me this job. So she said, you can, you can cut the job is yours, but you have to be here in two weeks. And that was (laughs) immediately. (laughs) I mean, it was a rough break because I was so entrenched in the community in Maine. I loved it. I loved my life. I wasn't even really seriously thinking like, I got to go. It was just this job came up and I I had to apply for it. And then it happened. And um, so... The so whirlwind. It was, yeah. It was it was a whirlwind. And um I still have grief over that time in life because it was such a hard, hard shift. Yeah. Really painful. I mean, I left this studio and this community that I adore, and I still yeah. talk to people from there. Been there, um, girl. And and I had a great therapist. I found a great therapist in Bozeman almost right away. And we got right into the heart of the matter. And she said, you know, it's okay to feel your feelings. Because <laughs> I kept yes. saying like, well, I made this choice and I can't be sad because I'm the one who made the choice to leave Maine. And she said, well, you may have made the choice, but you can't avoid feeling how you feel. And the sooner you just right. allow yourself to grieve the loss of this life that you loved. I was just going to say, you're allowed to grieve things that yeah. you left. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that was yes. just such a brilliant lesson. And that, that stays and that has absolutely infused how we teach at Zephyr, um, that learning that lesson in that first year back. So was working at YC was super grateful for that experience, but I just missed being in a studio so much. I mean, it was just like, again, like talk about being too small. I'd been in this expansive space yeah. and teaching six days a week and just loving the community I had. And, um, all of a sudden I was living with my parents and commuting <laughs> 45 minutes. Cause I, they were like up in the moonlight part of big sky and I would go oh. down and back around. Oh. And I see it. It was just, oh, it was just, I don't know. I just, it was, it was really hard. Yes. And I was going to Bozeman a lot just to get a breath of fresh air to grocery shop, but to do, you know, mm-hmm. Bozeman things and was going to pure bar. Um, and, was so amazed that this boutique fitness community existed in Bozeman. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. And the more I went, I realized, wow, I really feel like this community could probably support a spin studio. I, mm-hmm. like, and also, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to because right. coming. I could see like this was, <laughs> yep. you know, in 2016, 17, where, I mean, there really were very few boutique studios. Pure Bar was yes. really the only one. And so – the only one that of, of which I was aware and their pricing model and their pay per class model and everything. I just thought, wow, okay. And these classes are packed. Let's right. Um, so that, and so I thought, all right, let's do this. Cause you don't want to end up working for someone else in an industry where you feel you have so much to give and mm-hmm. a vision. So let's figure out how to do this. Love what you're hearing. Business Unbound online courses help you implement the ideas from this show and change how your company runs in big and small ways for the better. Our courses are meticulously crafted, packed with tactical tools and solutions, and designed to help women genuinely enjoy the day-to-day business journey. We've poured insights from our collective 13 years of entrepreneurship and work with more than 100 clients into every course. And the good news is that we're just getting started. We're on a mission to unite women entrepreneurs who understand challenges, loneliness, and vulnerabilities of running a business. And we want you to be part of it. Visit unboundboss.com to browse our course library. We cannot wait to join you on your journey.
So, I mean, this is brand new to you, right? Like you have the, the blessing of been being in studios previously, right? And kind of seeing how they run, Mm -hmm. but you've never started one before. You've never, you know, gone from like the very beginning to the end. You've always come in in the middle of someone else's story. So yeah, (laughs) you know, like how did your, why your kind of drive to do this, how did that really give you the confidence to go from just sitting in your car and being like, I mean, I could probably do it to <laughs> taking all the thousand steps that then you were like, well, if I'm going to do it, I got to be doing all of this. Yeah. Um, it's, it was really audacious now that I look back. <laughs> I had no, I had no experience. I mean, the studio I worked at in Maine, I started teaching there maybe two months after they opened. So I did see it grow okay, significantly yep. over the course of that almost three years I was there. Um, and was doing a lot of marketing work for them and did all of their instructor training and all of that. Okay. So yep. I had that, I had like the, the external side and I, I knew I had a good product to offer. Mm-hmm. I knew I knew how to train people to teach. Um, <laughs> but as far as the business side of it, I, I don't, I mean, for me, it was truly just an exploratory mission until I signed the lease on mm. the space that we're currently okay. <laughs> And it was yeah. just having a million com- – not being afraid to reach out to people in Bozeman and just asking them if – I really don't like the question, can I pick your brain? So I would avoid that. Um, <laughs> but I you know, I would come organized and prepared. And again, that professional side of me saying, yep. you know, I'm thinking about starting this studio and I have these questions that I'd love to ask you for this specific reason. Mm-hmm. Do you have time? Can I treat you to coffee? And so I just started yeah. talking to people um, and – got connected with a commercial realtor through Prospera and started looking at spaces that fall and just still just thinking, oh gosh, this will never happen. Um, <laughs> and it's just the thing I do on the weekends, look at realty. <laughs> I mean, truly, I, well, yeah. And I even like asked a guy to go on a date with me once just to like look at commercial spaces. Nice. It was just like, um, Perfect. it was, it was, I, I mean, I just, I don't think I was taking it that seriously because I didn't ha- I didn't think that I had what it took to do it. Honestly, I think mm. there was a lack of enoughness there that was with the universe. But then again, like the universe just kept coming in and providing the next right step. And I will say um, my landlords at my space in Bozeman were really, um, I think, what made the timeline possible for me because – the space that Zephyr is in is in a building that at the time there was only one tenant on the north end mm-hmm. of the building and the rest was just a blank wide open space and I could have had as much of it as I wanted. And I and, yes. I, and my parents were, were very adamant. They were like, do not sign a lease on any space until you know how much things are going to cost. How, oh, you know, gosh. Until you know, and, and so I had to do all of that work and hope that this space would still be available. And they were incredible. They worked with me every step of the way, pricing it out. Um, and then uh, gave me a, a very generous tenant improvement um, budget. And so I think I saw the space for the first time in early September. And then I signed the lease in December of 2016. So it was a few months of just really trying to get the ducks in a row and still yeah. working this full-time job at Yellowstone Club. There was a day where I would like, and I didn't want to like tell YC what I was up to in case it didn't work yeah, out. So there would be days where I would like drive down to Bozeman, back to YC, Back down uh, to Bozeman, back to IC. And you guys, and that drive is real. That is that real. It is through a canyon. There is not a whole lot of cell signal. It's a journey. 
It's a journey. Um, uh-huh. And my dog. Beautiful. The, but yeah. Beautiful, very beautiful. And to this day, I don't mind that drive. Um, now having done it in a U-Haul to get bikes to Big Sky, I really don't mind it when it's just my car. Like anything you're sorry. saying now. <laughs> no, I know. Um, but, you know, my dog, Andy, and I would just go up, drive up and down. He was with me at every meeting. Yeah. Was, I mean, we, we had so much car time. And so, um, you know, how did I know I had it in me? I did not. <laughs> but I just sure. kept taking the next, not even right step, just a step. <laughs> that's so, that's, I think that's so... I, it's a vulnerable to say, and I really appreciate that you said it because you could look at you and these achievements and this beautiful studio. And if you guys will put her website on the, sh- in the show notes, if you guys watch the video, it's just like, I want to jump into that studio, the, the video <laughs> on your website. Um, so you've done all this, but just saying out loud and admitting, Hey, I didn't know what I was doing and I did it anyway. It's so powerful for people who maybe have some kind of desire or dream are scared. So I am. Mm-hmm. thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. But I want to put you on the spot a little more and say, I don't know if we've completely highlighted the why. Why? Yeah. What, do you, what do you think it was about opening the studio? Because you could have waited. You said somebody else would have opened it. There probably would have been a boutique studio at some point. And you, you could have worked taught there. there. Exactly. You were still teaching a little bit at the other place, but there had to be something else going on in your soul or something in your body telling you. I yeah, I, to open this. <laughs> I just, I knew it was something that my own heart needed to exist. Um, and I think to your point that you just made, I say to people now, like, do like if there's something in your life that, again, David White, thank you, brings you alive, do as much of it as you can and see where it leads you. Like, if that's something that you want to become a career or a business or whatever it is, just start by immersing yourself in it as much and as often as you can. And when I started teaching, all of a sudden I understood what people meant when they said that they were passionate about something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you could not, I mean, I started teaching and officially teaching in early 2013. I would have taught every day, twice a day. If someone had let me, I oh, adored yep. it. I mean, and wow. it just like the very bodily feeling of loving something so much that's not a human or a dog, I guess. Um, but it just, I mean, it's an addicting feeling and to be missing that from my life. And it was, I mean, I taught, uh, once, maybe twice a week, um, at camp house at YC during the season. And then in the off season, I teach classes, uh, maybe once every couple of weeks for staff and employees. And I Mm -hmm. just, my heart was just broken over it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and again, too, yeah, I didn't want to work for anybody else in that setting. So that was a motivator, but also it was just wanting to be able to build community through these classes and through this movement and realizing that that was my, like that feeling was my purpose and that purpose needed a space to grow. There we have it. All right. We got to it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so, you know, is this something that you mentioned your parents a little bit before wanting mm-hmm. to be like, um, show me the dollars. <laughs> um, but, so when you went back to your family and you were like, you know, I kind of get this idea. It's going to sound a little bit crazy, 
But <laughs> here's what I'm thinking. Like, what kind of reception did you get from friends and family and some of those people whose brains you politely said you were not going to pick at tea, but that's <laughs> definitely what you were doing? Um, you know, like, what kind of feedback did you get from people? Were they largely supportive or cautious? Or Because I think we get a lot of different reactions when we say we want to start something. Anybody who had taken a class of mine got it. They were like, you okay. got to do this. You mm. absolutely – this makes so much sense. So that was a, a surprise to no one. Most of those people okay. were in most of those people were in Maine, so there was that. Yeah, my parents were incredibly supportive. I think my entire life, almost to a fault, they have been very hesitant to give me any advice, oh. <laughs> <laughs> professionally or like they just okay. never want to put any pressure on me or my brother to yep. choose a certain path. And I have for the most part been very grateful to them for that. <laughs> Some points I'm like, you could have just like, did I need to go work? Did right? I need to you go saw work that for coming, right? Like, well, I probably, you probably could have said like, maybe that's not the right move. But yeah. I, um, so they were like, well, I'm okay. If this is something you want to do, do it. <laughs> we're sure. not going to, I mean, we're not going to, you know, break course and tell you not to. I, I think they probably, well, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they also know how determined I am once I decide mm-hmm. I'm going to do something. So there's that piece of it too. So they were um, just like, it's happening. It's this happening. is happening now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is happening. Uh, we're going to get on board. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, no, no one said you shouldn't do this, I guess. Good. Well, actually, I did have one friend say um, before I even, before Zephyr even became a real thought, like, no, you don't want to open a brick and mortar business because you will, and or a spin studio because you're always going to be the best instructor. So you'll have to teach all the time. You'll never have any passive oh, income interesting. and you're always going to be tied to the studio. And so someone did give me that piece of advice and there have been moments in the business where I'm like, well, <laughs> would I have listened to her? <laughs> no, but and in complete and total transparency, that has not been the case at all. Um, the best people in the world work at Zephyr and teach the best classes in the world. And I get to be one of the people who provides that experience now. Um, but that was kind of the only pushback I got. Gotcha. And conversely, like, and to add to that, once, you know, I, like the first thing I did when I decided I was really going to do it was reach out to Peer Bar because mm. they had been a sanctuary of sorts for me. Mm-hmm. And I, in the experience I had had in New York, I, it just felt like I was going to be viewed as competition by them. And so I just wanted to be very upfront and clear and, and great and like express my gratitude. That's a courtesy. Yeah. And they were not only were they like, hell yeah, this is needed to happen, but like let's partner on certain things so that we can oh, elevate nice. your brand. And that was my first experience in like the Bozeman business community of people wanting to collaborate. It was just shocking. Community over competition. That's Mallory's favorite. And I love that. I love that phrase. Sometimes it doesn't always bear out the way that we hope that it would. But yes, from the beginning, they were so supportive. And um, to this day, I'm just very grateful for that because it really set the tone for yeah, a very exactly. collaborative environment that has stayed true to who Zephyr is to this day. I love that. Now, I mentioned in the intro, we haven't spoken to a lot or really maybe anyone who's had a brick and mortar business yet on the pot. So just for those who are wondering, tell us about the experience of actually setting that up. So, I mean, you have equipment, you got, you talked about the building. 
um, but you had to brand an actual space, not just a virtual one. What was the experience like getting it up and running? I'm completely <laughs> overwhelmed by this to set the stage. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't even understand these people with physical spaces and things. Like, tell me, how do you, how do, you how do it? How did you do it? How did you do it? How do you buy 32 bikes? Like, I don't even, I don't even understand. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the first thing I had to do, like, I, and we won't go through like every single step, but finding an architect who could create plans that it could then be priced out by, yeah, that's crucial. <laughs> Especially uh, if you're entering like a brand new space. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, empty, it, was empty. A, it was a blank space, okay. as Taylor Swift would say. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> and um, so having a good architect who can create plans that then you can take to builders to have them price out is crucial. Didn't know anything about that process. Figured it out. Yeah. And then thanks to SoulCycle, thanks to the studio in Maine that I'd worked at, like I knew how important a space that felt good really mm -hmm. truly was. You know, yes. there's the experience of spinning in a back room at World Gym as everybody yes. lifts weights outside. And then there's going to Rev. And that was like a different, it was just clean and it right. smelled and, good. Yeah. And everybody had a towel and it was just like, yes, oh, this is different. So I knew that needed to happen. And I, I, oh, Keitra Nelson from Classic Inc. recommended I work with Urbane Home, which they are an incredible duo um, of interior designers and oh, wow. okay. would never, ever, ever be able to oh. afford them now. But at the time, they were also just getting started. So they gave gotcha. me an amazing deal. And so they helped me with the fixtures and furnishes and FFE, furniture, fixtures, equipment, that whole mm. side of things. And then as far as the equipment, like the sound system and the bikes and all that, like I knew what yeah. I wanted because I'd mm. been in studio spaces and I knew it needed to sound good. I knew the specific bikes I wanted. I've since sold all those and bought new ones because I've changed my mind. Okay. <laughs> it's not uncommon for me. Um, but I, so that piece of it, I was like, oh, I know I need this, this, and this. <laughs> so you, was, you make kind of a literal shopping list and you're like, here's, I know that these well, ingredients go into a good studio. Yeah, because I had to know how much everything yeah. was going to cost. And so... Well, yeah. I want to know um, how you paid for it all. You had to get a loan for all this? Like, I, can we get into that? You for do? Yeah. You know, uh, you, you would get a loan. I also used... I had a, a lot... I had savings and I used a lot of it. Um, yeah. Actually used all of it. I remember <laughs> like six months after we opened, I was like, um, I'm going to have to... <laughs> start paying myself now because there's nothing right? I can't, there's nothing left um oh gosh yeah so it was anything but linear or easy or straightforward but again it was just like the next right step and there were moments yeah. where I would get so frustrated because you're you're the project manager on this Mm -hmm. huge thing you're you're coordinating so many different pieces like the floor has to be in the studio before the bikes can arrive and right you know, yeah totally just like the order of operations was so important. But then you'd also have to, I mean, and I'm a Virgo, so I'm a micromanager. Anyone, you know, who works with me will say yes. But, you know, it's like staying on top of people to make sure that their part of the project gets done so that the next part right. of the project can commence. Otherwise, you're opening a year later. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm grateful that we were building out in 2017 and not 2023 because it's just a oh, totally, entirely. totally yes. different, different landscape. I mean, I absolutely. For what no. I spent then, I couldn't do anything now. 
So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you but, so you were managing this giant project and creating this space, but having you know people can go online and see the studio. Having mm-hmm. seen it in my own town, I can tell you like it's beautiful and light and bright, and there's dogs in it, and you know you probably got that creativity fix from being able to do that part of it at the same time you had to do all the unfun stuff, right? Like, did that keep you going a little bit to see this thing come to life? Or were you like, this is a catastrophe? (laughs) I wish I could say that it was that much fun. It wasn't. It just was like, I mean, seriously, just tell me because I have no idea. I mean, there were, there were parts of it, like seeing it come together was really incredible. Like actually I'm just looking at a picture of me it's on my computer, but this is me and my first dog, like standing on the podium. Oh. It's just barely been roughed out. And yeah. Oh, and we'll I'll have never to get a copy of that. And put yeah. That I'll send a picture. It's really sweet. But I just remember the day the podium went in and being like, oh my God, I can see that this is going to be, this is going to work. And yes. we have this big moon wallpaper behind the instructor podium. And like the day that moon went in, I was like, oh man, this is going to be amazing. And then I think what did keep me going was the people I was meeting who were going to mm-hmm. teach and work at the studio Okay, because it made me feel less alone. I mean, it's such an isolating yes. experience starting your own business. But then when you meet people who are like, oh, my God, yes, I would love to teach or I'd love to work the front desk. I'd love to be part of it in any way. You, that, that, that part of it was really exciting. So you, how did you start that kind of from the beginning? You were already looking for instructors. Like I think there are some people who would say – well, probably like your friend who warned you, <laughs> you know, don't pay anyone, you know, it's going to be too expensive. You should just teach every class mm-hmm. until you just completely burn out. This is a great idea. Right. But it sounds like from the beginning you were like, that's not going to work. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't going to work. I, I had that friend's voice in my mind and I didn't want it to be a studio of just one person being the superstar. Mm-hmm. I had been in that situation and it it really is hard because you just see class sizes fluctuate so much and you really want to have a team of people who teach solid classes so that no matter when someone comes to the studio, they're going to have an experience that you can be Mm -hmm. proud of. And I I was just trying to, I was like, uh, just trying to bring it all back. But so my first, one of my first hires, um, and this is, again, the collaborative nature of being a woman business owner, a female business owner in Bozeman. I truly believe it. But Keely Degenhart owned Spruce and Honey. She had started Spruce and Honey at the time. And Spruce and Honey was a waxing parlor. And I would go see her every month. And it would be like business advice and therapy. Like, uh, yeah, right? All yes. while I'm having this experience. It's a full service. Yes. I mean, to this day, she sold Spruce and Honey and now she has a space in Livingston and I will never see anybody else because I don't, Zephyr would not be where it is without her. She's never taken a class. It's not her thing. Oh. But she, she like one day said to me, you know, you really need to meet my other client, Jackie. She and her friend Carly are going to LA to get certified in spin because they really want to teach. And in my mind, I thought, who goes to L.A. to get spin certified if they're not starting their own studio? I don't love that. But okay. right? <laughs> I don't know if her intentions are pure. But I so I called Jackie and Jackie still has the voicemail. And it was like in this high, oh, no. like nervous tone and asking her <laughs> if we could meet. And um, <laughs> and so I met with her and Carly at the original Treeline uh, location, the roasting room off of Wallace. Oh, yeah. And it was like love at first sight. I just um clicked with them immediately. And it was, 
They still both teach to this day. They do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jackie's pregnant with her second baby. So she's taken some breaks. Oh my goodness. Not many. Um, And so that was, and then it was just sort of like word of mouth. Like I had a friend in Big Sky who was like, oh, you need to meet my sister. She teaches classes on campus. And so it was, it it just all kind of came together in this beautiful way. And and as I say that, I feel like I've said that a, a few times over the course of this podcast. I really do like... Zephyr's origin story really does give me faith in the universe because mm. I can look back now and see how th- it could not have been a mistake for me to meet these people and to have them come into Zephyr's life because they have been such an integral part of who this well, who but who Zephyr has become as a business. So I have to admit I'm having some massive FOMO that I live too many hours away to come to your studio because it's just so we I mean, it just sounds so incredible. The second she watched the video, I was like, oh, Mal, you can be a <laughs> But it's because you're talking about two of my absolutely favorite things, connection and community. And it's not just that that's what you're creating for the, the, the geographical area you're in. It's like the entire essence of the company is that. And it started that way. And it is be- it is what it is because of those things, like those people and those connections in the beginning. So I would talk to you all day about that (laughs) if I could, but tell us more about the centrality of community at Zephyr now that it's established Mm -hmm. and small businesses in Montana. I mean, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. I, and it's interesting talking about it now, three years after we had to shut our doors during COVID and um, figure out how we were going to maintain that community when we couldn't all meet Mm -hmm. in the same place. Um, But I, and it's same, I could, Mallory, like I could talk about it (laughs) all day long. Um, But I do say sometimes at Zephyr, you know, there's a reason we don't go into dark rooms and ride bikes to nowhere by ourselves. (laughs) Like there is... (laughs) Something, I mean, some people do, but sure. it's, um, but at the heart of Zephyr are people who come to a place who may not agree with each other on everything or most things even sometimes. And yet they all know that coming together and feeling supported in a room full of people moving their bodies to work through whatever is going on in their lives is going to make them feel better. And I always say, Zephyr, that what we do in this in that room has a ripple effect. And, you know, beginning where you are, particularly given the world in which we live today, I mean, it can feel so overwhelming to know where to start to make a difference. But when mm-hmm. you come into a space like Zephyr and you are vulnerable and honest and open with your heart in a space that's going to support that happening you will have an impact not only on yourself, but on the people you interact with outside of that room. And I know that better than anyone because the people who come and take my classes have taught me that Um, over every life experience or up and down I've had over the past six and a half years, like that community has been there as a non-judgmental space that has allowed me to work through so many things that have, that has then created the opportunity for me to show up as a better citizen of the world. And it doesn't happen without community. And on the flip side of that, in Bozeman and in Montana, there are all of these incredible businesses that 
would not exist if not for the people who support them and the towns that create the space for them to grow. And so we at Zephyr 2 try to express our gratitude to the external community as much as we can. And since day one, you know, my background in fundraising and giving back, that's always been part of the ethos at Zephyr. Um, Even when we were making no money, we still um, would host, we call them Zephyr Gives rides or events where we pick a nonprofit and figure out a meaningful way to support them. Um, And because that's just what, it's just being a good neighbor. And it's also giving back to a community that has continues to give us so much, whether or not they come into the doors of the studio. Well, and what is coming to my mind right now is earlier we recorded a podcast that you guys will hear next season on resilience. Mm. And when I hear you say that you intentionally built this community from the beginning and then COVID hit, what I find myself thinking is, well, she built the foundation for things that she didn't know was coming, but that would give her that resilience for whatever, whatever the ups and downs, all of it, you could come back to that community and be like, well, we will figure it out. Like we have what we need in this room. Like we will figure it out. So like, tell me how COVID happened. Like I remember driving by and I would see bikes in the parking lot, (laughs) right? Like you were doing classes outside. Like what was that whole experience like for you having a physical business where like everyone's in a small room together? Eek. It was really hard. It was really uh, again, hard. It was like, again, it was, it took me back to the days of building the business. It was like, okay, you just have to make the right, next right decision. So, mm-hmm. you know, March 15th hit, I remember taking a class that morning. It was a Sunday and thinking like, oh, this is wild. Well, we won't close our doors though. It's not going right. to be that wild. And then I was at brunch with a friend um, and we saw on Instagram that Big Sky had closed and I was like, oh, this is real. Yeah. And I'll never forget that afternoon, just sitting in my living room thinking like, what is the right Mm -hmm. thing to do here? Because no other, I mean, a couple, I think the Mountain Project had made the choice to close, but I don't think any other studio in Bozeman had yet, at least not that I had seen. Not that early. And I just knew, I was like, okay, we have to close. We just have to, Mm because this is, this is so much bigger Mm -hmm. than us. We don't know. And um, we're closing. Mm -hmm. And so we did. And then within days, (sighs) gave ourselves a crash course on how to film and record, as I'm sure you guys are familiar with, yeah, um, online classes. And I think we released our first online class on St. Patrick's Day, maybe. And re- in like the past, like in 2019, we developed an off-the-bike workout that, thank God. Okay, I was going to say how. <laughs> yeah, because we had this rhythm-based, mat-based workout that anybody okay. could do. We rented out our bikes every single one of them and like had them on like monthly memberships. Oh, like so you sent them home with people. We did. It was really scary. Oh, I had no idea. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's I, uh, creative though. Yeah. Well, and initially, cause I'd seen a studio that I followed and admire a lot, which is another spin studio in Maine. They were going to rent their bikes out. And I was like, what? That's your biggest physical asset. And you right. have no idea. You can't guarantee that people are going to take care of them. Turns out spin bikes are That's super true, hard. But- it's true, but and then it was like, well, we don't really have a choice here. They can't just sit here and we're losing yeah. thousands of dollars a week. Right. So we rented them all out and people were so kind about them. I mean, I'll never forget the day people came to pick them up because it was like, you couldn't like, 
touch each other They're or happy, anything. Right. And you're well, yeah, and so we lined by them, yourself. We lined them all up down the street. We had like pickup time. So no more than a few people were there at once. And like, you yep. just see people rolling them to their cars and like irking them in and oh. strapping them down. And I'd be like, Oh, oh I can't walk. Um, but, but everybody was so kind and wonderful. And, um, when we were able to reopen, we moved everything outside really quickly. Um, and my yeah. landlords were like, yeah, you can do classes in the parking lot. You just can't make any noise. And I was like, well, uh, problem. So, okay. So we got these headphones that people use at silent raves and discos. Yeah. And then we did, we did outdoor classes like into November. I mean, and then wow. it was yeah. like, okay, Noah. And I was like, oh, the Rialto isn't being used for anything, which is this iconic concert venue in downtown Bozeman. And so I reached out to one of my friends who was, um, Forget what her role was there at the time. Now she runs it, but uh, it's like Kristen. Do you think there's ever a chance that like we could move to the Rialto for the winter? And she was like, I don't know, but I'll ask my boss and see. And they were so gracious. They were like, Yeah, I mean, we can't. I did not know you did that. Oh, we lived in the Rialto. That's so clever. We lived in the Rialto for eight months, and we could have the bikes six feet apart. We had them like on the mezzanine. Um, Yeah, we had them. We had them on the stage. We had, and it was so much fun. We had a great time. In the meeting, and make the, noise. Okay, well, within reason, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yes. And then, because, you know, they're used to having like concerts at night. All right. You know, we got businesses on either side of you, but everyone was really awesome about it. And while that was happening, I renovated the 2000 South Third location because it had just seen so much wear and tear in our first mm-hmm. three years. And then moving the bikes in and out. Right. For months at a time, like ugh, the front desk staff who worked at Zephyr before we moved to the Rialto during COVID, I mean, they would roll the bikes out into the parking lot at five in the morning, roll them back in at 10 a.m., roll them out again at 4 p.m., roll oh them back my again. Goodness. So they were just, I I mean, again, it's the people and none of it would have been yeah. possible without them. So by the time you know, we finally moved back in May of 21, we were, we had. <laughs> done some things and our oh community made it possible i mean they were with us every step of the way they were like you're doing that's, this no okay you're doing this now okay right okay, okay we'll be over that, there i guess okay. and that's the power of I, I mean i have had experiences in studios where i know what you're talking about where it's just like magic it's just the energy and you can't i, I do spin on my own when i'm not injured uh, mm-hmm. in my basement going nowhere sometimes but it misses, and you know, I can get benefits from it, but there is that lack of energy of sharing that space with other people. And so I think because you had built that already, I'm not surprised that you said that this community behind you kept you going and followed you around because they were craving it just as much, if not more than before. Uh, and recently I was just reading an article and it was it was talking about like the in- increase in women entrepreneurs and women small business owners because I guess October was national small women's small business month last last month yes and um, it was basically talking about the success of these companies of these women small businesses actually positively impact the economy and they can have a big impact on the success of a community's economy and that's exactly what you're doing so I think it's amazing it's so it's so amazing to see and I think like even the, I don't, this is not the right word, but like the life economy, like you putting that effort into these individuals in your class, like during, especially a very difficult time for everyone, like that sends them back home in a better mental state. Like that 
lets them show up for work in a better state and deal with kids at home in a better state. Like that's, like you said, it's a ripple effect, right? Yeah. And I, it's, it's very true. And I also say, you know, the way you ride your bike is reflective of the way you live your life. So mm-hmm. get honest about that. And, you know, the things that you work through in the studio are absolutely like how you, can you mm-hmm. be more responsive rather than reactive when you think about adding resistance to the right? And when you take that space to really determine what's right, what feels right in your body. I mean, that's a practice that you can mm-hmm. then take into literally every other part of your life. Um, so many life lessons. Exactly. But how did your why, this this that we've identified now, this passion and this community and connection you were craving, so you made it for yourself. I mean, how important was that to you, to, for you to get through that really hard time? And I would say COVID probably was the hardest challenge you probably had in your business at that point. How did coming back to your why really help you and ground you through that experience? Well, I just loved the business so much. Um, and it, you know, there's this, I mean, <laughs> I've never had a human child, so I don't profess to know what that's like. But when you have our babies devoted literal blood, sweat and tears in your entire heart to something for at that point, almost three, well, three and a half years, if you count like the build out, like it just mm-hmm. wasn't an option not to fight to keep it. And on top of that, very immediately, we were getting incredible feedback from people that the classes we were teaching and recording and uploading were getting people through their days and like okay. making a difference for people um, during what was an unprecedented time, unprecedented time in everybody's mm-hmm. life. And that in and of itself was like, for me, I was like, all right, this is the purpose right here. Like it is making people's lives better during a time when we don't really know what's next. And so I was going to keep fighting to do that, you know, mm-hmm. in any well, way that I could. And it, you know, it strikes me in your story, you just said it sort of a little bit, but like you were reinvesting in your business during that time to renovate your existing space when I think a lot of people like were not spending a dime, right? Like that was very hopeful of you to be like, you know what? Like I envision us being back here. I'm going to pivot a bit during this time when I don't have people in the space to improve the space. Like that's just a, I think that's very different than what a lot of people would have done. Well, (laughs) there was that, but there was also like, thank you. I appreciate that. And that was part of it. Absolutely. The other part of it was, all right, I'm going to have to have people be okay with being like next to each other again. And like, Mm. how can I make this studio feel Mm. as clean and as safe as possible while essentially asking people to do something that they hadn't done at that point in over a year? So that was definitely a motivator as well. It was like, this this reinvestment is 1000% necessary because it can't be, it can't look like it did before in some ways. It's got to be better. Um, well, yeah. I, I want to go, I want to go back to this, this one thing you said about these things people are working through. You said you had a great quote and you said the things people work through. Is how you live your life? (laughs) Did you write it down? Yeah. Uh, but talk to us about how that as a business owner comes to play for other business owners. So you're writing I just, I know exactly what you mean because I've, I have had this experience personally. I can feel myself, you know, building resilience or like closing stress loops or getting into a flow state when I'm riding hard or 
exercising or moving in a way that I can only focus on that. But I'd like to know how you think that experience for you, either writing or teaching, relates to owning a business. Mm. Are there are there parallels there? How you ride your bike is how you run your business. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the quote. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Let's hear what you have to lot, say about Yeah, it. no. Well, I mean, you do. I mean, running your bike business is a part of the life that you're leading. So absolutely. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, either teaching a class or taking a class makes me a better business owner without question it does. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm really riled up about something and I teach a class and like the words that come out of my mouth are all about compassion. Like she's going through something. Well oh no. Oh you you, some of the people who have been with me for years can know if something's going Uh (laughs) like but and that's very funny and true. But um you know I hear what's coming out of my mouth and I'm like all right so this you know you have like you need to take your own advice here. Practice this. So there's yes. that side of it. And then there's also just the magic that is Zephyr that I get to receive, which is when I get go take a class and I move through something. There's never a class I've, I mean, maybe when I, because I don't drink anymore, but there would be a couple of times where I would show up and take class pretty hungover or teach hungover. And at the end of class, I would not feel better than I did at the beginning. But since oh. I stopped drinking almost two years ago. Yeah. Like there is not a class I take where I don't feel better at the end of it, mentally, emotionally, Mm -hmm. spiritually. Like it's just, I'm just, there's, it's just impossible. So Mm -hmm. to be able to then have that experience and feel better going into my day allows me to have more genuine and patient um, Mm -hmm. and honest interactions with the people who help me run the business. Well, that's, I think that's just a piece of your self-care you know, a bit of an overused term, but it's how do I need to set up my own life and take care of myself so that I can run this business the way I should, show up for other people the way I should. What are some of the other things that you've done? I mean, I know there are, you know, dogs in the studio and that's number one for me. Um, That's number one through 10 for me, just dogs (laughs) literally everywhere. Everywhere. But what else do you do to kind of take care of yourself? And to take space and to, you know, refill your own, I mean, for me, it's an energy thimble, but for you, it might be more. Yeah. Um, uh, that isn't I mean, riding a bike. Yeah. Um, Caveat. <laughs> well, uh, the strength training classes at Zephyr are really great too. So I take a lot of those. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, dogs are really a very crucial piece of it for me. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes I'm in a great meditative practice where I wake up every day and I meditate and I read something. That is not the case right now. And I was lamenting that to a mentor. I was like, I feel like I've really, my morning routine has just gone to mm-hmm. shit in this stressful moment mm-hmm. of life. Yeah. Um, but, um, and then we were talking about my dogs and she was like, well, so you're saying that you go for walks with the dogs and you don't look at your phone and you're just with them the whole time yep. and it fills your cup. And I'm like, yeah, actually uh-huh. that is such a, that's like, it is something for me that creates so much meaning. And until she pointed that out to me, it was like, I felt like if I didn't get the dogs out on a day, mm-hmm. I had let them down. But really it was like, yes. if I didn't get the dogs out on the day, it was letting right. them and me down. And so that's just, I mean, I love Bozeman for many reasons, but mm-hmm. one of the biggest is the fact that there are so many incredible ways to be outside with your animals within 25 minutes of your front door. And Mm -hmm. that is something I never take for granted. And 
I'd say that's a very, very huge, big piece of it. Other than that, I'd love to eat good food. I love to spend time with people who feel like home. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I would say I'm probably much less extroverted than I used to be. So I don't spend a lot of time like out on the town. I <laughs> think maybe that's also mm-hmm. just being 36. But I like yeah. on days when I have when I get to go for a hike with the dogs with a great friend, like there is nothing that may re-energizes sure. me like that. Um, and to self-care, like taking care of my body in ways that aren't movement, like the choice not to drink has been a game changer for me. Um, mm-hmm. Huge game changer. Sleep. Yes. <laughs> not always the greatest that. And my dogs wake me up at five fifteen for breakfast, whether I'm like, all right. Yeah. But I used to think that it was like movement, movement, movement had to be how I took mm. care of myself. But now it really is like eating things that I know are going to nourish me, mm-hmm. um, hydrating, <laughs> yeah. taking time to do less. Like if I have a Saturday afternoon yes. where I'm on the couch with the dogs watching, what did we watch last weekend? Oh, oh, like the Supermodels documentary on <laughs> Dabble TV. I mean, that was their yeah. choice probably, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They've been waiting. Just, they truly have been. Yeah. No, but you know, like moments like that where you just like, I think I, I, sometimes I struggle with like needing to be doing something and it's right. a real practice Same. to do less and know that I will have more energy to give when it yes. is time to work. If I take that time. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I've loved this. We have time for our last fun closer, even though I want to talk to you about community and movement connection all day. <laughs> Nicole has a fun question to wrap us up. I feel like this is like Renee Brown who's going to ask me what my top five favorite songs are. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, it was close. I was going to ask if you could only cycle to one song for the rest of your life, what would it be? (laughs) Hold On by Wilson Phillips. Oh, okay. We'll include in the show notes. Love it. (laughs) It's my favorite song of all time. And it's. You can do anything to that song. <laughs> Just yes. Okay, I can see that totally. Like soundtrack done. Oh my gosh! It's I, when I was little. I, it's like one of my first. I mean, core memory is such a well-used term now, but now that I look back, it really was. My mom had a Wilson Phillips cassette tape, and I used to listen to "Hold On" and rewind and listen oh, and rewind and listen and watch. Yes. in my heart, and it's an incredible song to move your body to. So. Love it. And the message is very, very relevant, no matter what part of the spectrum of life you're on at any given time. We might all gonna have to go. Yeah, Yeah. we're gonna have to link to the lyrics and I'll go listen to it again to refresh our memories. (laughs) Carolyn, thank you for letting us be part. All of us all over listening, be a little part of your community and sharing it with us. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you both so much for having me. This has really been hard expansive for me. to think about, to go back over the past few years and just be able to talk about it. So thank you. Yeah. Our pleasure. All right. Well, that wraps us up. So we will see everybody next week on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Hop over to unboundboss.com to join our community and leave us a voice memo. We absolutely love hearing from you. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave us an Apple review, and share your favorite episodes with other women entrepreneurs. Talk to you soon.